sure there's plenty of podcasts to record me on this. So funny. The following is a fan off production. everyone and welcome anew everyone if you're new to our little podcast this is Erie International I am Andy from Germany and I'm Dave from the UK and we initially wanted to have a surprise today a surprise guest a surprise comeback um, the our third co-host David from the US initially wanted to join us for this recording uh, and, uh, probably because he realized or when we when we texted him which movie we will discuss today he probably realized oh finally they're doing something other than an old european movie mm. <laughs> it's time for the american to come back and then he realized that it's a canadian movie and he said nah i have to go to a basketball game so, uh no david today uh, he's uh his he, i guess his kid is uh playing the 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 NBA playoffs or something, so he has to <laughs> attend <laughs> a basketball game for his um, uh, to to support his son. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's just the two of us. Uh, the movie that we will discuss today is Terra Train from 1980, directed by Roger Spottiswood. And yeah, that's the main topic. We are Eerie International, your favorite horror podcast that sometimes gets released via fan of media this week we had a bit of a delay in the release of our last recording uh do you want to explain what happened dave yeah so um technical problems up the wazoo last week uh fan off was um I, you can't even say victim of because it's just one of those things the uh, one of the certificates on the site uh became outdated which basically meant that uh, it lost its HTTPS rating, which meant that uh, it, it couldn't be guaranteed that you were private when you were on the site. Um, as a result of that, anyone that was certainly anyone that was using Google Chrome would have been told, ah, this isn't a private website anymore. People might be trying to play silly buggers with your information. You shouldn't come here. Um, so uh, we got onto Will, and uh, a couple of days later that was taken care of. Unfortunately, what happened then was I apparently have lost the ability to upload audio files of a certain size up to the media server on fanoffmedia.com, which is kind of a big problem for a website that is called Fanoff Media. Um, so we, we eventually figured out a workaround which involved uploading the show to uh, archive.org and then linking that to the uh, the the web page that the show was hosted on um took a little while for it to update and everything and in the meantime i have asked friend of the show felipe diaz vera to upload the uh, the, the show on the server so i can then kind of uh, tidy it all up and button it all up i'm hoping it's just that last week we had a very very long episode 
and uh, the, a shorter episode with a, uh, a, a lower uh, memory capacity will be easier to upload. But essentially, uh, technology bad. Um, uh, boo-hoo. Uh, sorry we got it late, but it did eventually end up in your podcast feeds literally like the day before we record this episode yeah. so we were late apologies but uh, we did say we were taking some time off so <laughs> yeah our big comeback episode for 2023 and even that one got delayed it came out even later yeah. than planned and expected but yeah, anyway these things happen it is now out we are recording our second episode of 2023 episode 362 um, you can always find us, of course, on our social media platforms where we inform you when episodes are out or if there's a delay with the release of episodes. We are on Twitter at EerieINT and we are Erie International on Facebook and on Instagram. And you can send us emails to International at gmail.com. We got one tweet regarding our main topic for this episode when we announced terra train but we will talk about that later um if if i remember to mention <laughs> the reply that we got <laughs> uh, sometimes i forget things when i don't write them down anyway dave uh, mm. it's just the two of us again um and we can talk about a few things that we did this week that we consumed this week um, that are from the horror genre. Do you have anything that you want to talk about, Dave? Um, so I don't have anything new that I want to talk about. Uh, however, I thought that it was uh, important that I mention an episode of uh, Postmortem with Mick Garris that I listened to last year that is very timely for uh, the, uh, the, the show that we're recording today uh on the 12th of october 2022 as part of uh the ramping up for ha halloween the release of, of the latest halloween movie uh mick garris had jamie lee curtis on the podcast and they spoke a lot about uh the different things that she's done in her career and uh this film that we're talking about today uh did get a mention Uh, she talked about her early career as a screen queen and uh, going up to Canada to film this movie. Um, spent a few minutes talking about it. Didn't it wasn't exhaustive about it, but certainly did talk about it a little bit enough that I remembered that uh, this was the movie that they were talking about. So I would recommend that people check that interview out from the 12th of October edition. 2022 of the uh of postmortem with mick garris um other than that i've basically spent my week watching football manager videos and garfield which <laughs> I, the tv show the 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 old cartoon yeah or? yeah garfield okay. and friends yeah specifically there was like a a mini movie that they made uh mm. it was a collection of shorts called uh, garfield his nine lives which was based on a comic book which was written by the uh, the original Garfield creator. And uh, essentially, it's Garfield's take on A Brief History of the World Part One, um, except seen through the eyes of his many uh, reincarnated lives. And there's some really good stories in there, but it's not at all horror-related. Well, I, I'd say maybe one of the stories could be considered kind of horror-ish in the kind of body 
uh, horror kind of uh, vein. Um, it's a story about animal testing. It, I think it's his sixth life. Um, but yeah, I've, I've basically just been um, kind of watching random crap. I, I've been watching an awful lot of videos about Final Fantasy VII because I completed the game again a little while ago. The original Final Fantasy VII now, not the, the remake. And uh, I thought to myself, I still want to collect a few things. I want to level out my character. So I saved the game just before the final fight. And now I've gone back to that save and I'm kind of leveling all my characters up, collecting all of the materia that uh, I missed out on and uh, building my kind of perfect overpowered um, uh, lineup of Final Fantasy VII characters. So... That, that's kind of been what I've been spending most of my week on, watching random flipping videos about Final Fantasy VII and um, and Garfield uh, and Football Manager. So <laughs> a, a weird microcosm of my life and interests this week. Uh, did, have you got anything that you wanted to talk about? I do have two things that I want to mention. In the past, you've often heard me or us talk about Brian Keane, the American horror author for years, I believe for five years, he did the uh, podcast called um, <laughs> The Horror Show with Brian Keane, him and co-host Dave Thomas and uh, a, a um, wide cast of uh, writers and friends and, and family members that appeared on that show. And they talked about horror news, did interviews with other horror writers, and just talked about the business and, and, and also movies sometimes that they had watched and, and stuff like that. That podcast ended uh, like a couple of years ago or so. Dave mm -hmm. Thomas, the co-host, uh, sadly passed away uh, in the meantime. Uh, and yeah, fairly recently, Brian Keane started a new show, a, a video podcast, so to speak, that you can see and listen to on his YouTube channel. The show is called Brian Keen Live. I think, yeah, he, he live streams the recordings so listeners can submit questions in the, in the comment function. I, to be honest, do not quite know when and how and where he live streams these recordings. Uh, but, yeah, afterwards he um, uploads the the videos to to his youtube channel and so far there are three episodes conversations with other writers the first one was with steven kozinuski that one i have not listened to yet the second episode was with paul tremblay famous horror author um and pretty soon i believe the adaptation of his book, The Cabinet at the End of the World, will be released, directed by M. Night Shyamalan under the title Knock at the Cabin, I believe, mm. starring Dave Bautista and Rupert Grint and um, I think Matt Bomer is in it and, and a few other people. I saw the trailer yesterday. Uh, anyway, they, they talk a fair, a fair bit about the Paul Tremblay's experience with, um, yeah, well, selling the, the rights and then visiting the set and interacting with some of the actors and, and reading the script um, because of course they rewrote the original novel 
um, quite a bit, especially the ending, it seems. And I know at least one of my co-hosts, uh, and it's not Dave, wasn't really um, happy with the ending of that book, as far as I remember. So maybe um, he will like the, the ending of the movie uh, better than the book. Anyway, that's mm. episode two of um, Brian Keen Life, and episode three is with Cynthia Pileo, Pileo mm, a... Uh, an author from from Chicago who writes horror poetry and uh, also novels. I've just recently, just this week, started her novel Children of Chicago, which is a a crime novel with some which which deals a, f a lot with um, with with fairy tales and folklore, and so it has the elements of of the fantastic in it i'm only i don't know like 60 pages into it um mm. right now but it's a book that i've actually bought a few years ago like i think i believe that must have been in 2021 when i had that stretch of reading a lot and when i read led barons i said coleridge novels all three of them within a week and read all the elizabeth hand novels the the, the casaneri novels that elizabeth hand wrote and and was was interested in 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 yeah crime novels that deal at least um in a way with 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 horror elements and and children of chicago was one of those books that i found during my research and this week i learned that in a few weeks in about a month the follow-up novel um, by Cynthia Pillai will be released called The Shoemaker's Magician, I believe, which is part two in her Chicago series. It's not a direct sequel to Children of Chicago. It's a standalone novel, but it is in that world that is set up in the first novel. And where the first novel, Children of Chicago, deals with, with fairy tales and with, with fairy tales by the Brothers Grimm, especially... Um, the second novel deals with uh, old movies and, and with Chicago having been like Hollywood before Hollywood. And, and of course, I'm mm. always interested in stories about movies and, and mysteries surrounding old movies and stuff like that. So uh, I thought, oh, that book is coming out. That sounds very interesting. I should finally read the first book, Children of Chicago. And so far, I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that's episode three of Brian King Life and the next episode We'll be with Josh Mallerman and his fiance, and so yeah. If you're interested in horror literature, if you like Brian Keane or any of the other authors I mentioned, or if you miss the horror show with Brian Keane, um, this is kind of a kind of a follow-up, although it's only uh, Brian Keane himself talking to other writers. It's not as many people so far, at least, on that show as there used to be on on the horror show with, with Brian Keane. So yeah, that's on Brian Keane's YouTube channel. And then yesterday, we finally, after a long while, went back to the cinema. We had a friend visiting from out of town um, who's also into genre cinema. So we decided, let's go see Megan, the new movie Ooh. by, and I forgot his name, the dude who directed Housebound, the New Zealand horror comedy which is a very early favorite of this podcast. It's a movie that we reviewed, I believe, within the first year of us doing this. And it's it's one of the movies that we 
always mentioned when it comes to uh, Gerard movies. Johnston. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, movies that we, as a as a podcast, as the Erie International Boys, uh, like like the guest, of course, <laughs> is our favorite movie, <laughs> um, and and Husband is definitely a a, a favorite mm-hmm. of Erie International. So yeah, uh, Megan, um, starring Alison Williams and other people <laughs> and uh megan the 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 ai puppet which has become of a bit of a i believe a tiktok phenomenon um there were many younger people in the <laughs> in the screening yesterday younger people than we would usually see at these screenings um and i believe that is because Megan at uh, once in one scene in the movie does uh, does a dance which I believe has become a bit of a TikTok meme uh. or however young people call that just like it was with with Wednesday with uh, Wednesday's dance from the TV show that I haven't seen yet but anyway so Megan uh, I think it was a, a bit of a surprise hit. It's a very successful movie. They've already announced a uh, a part two, which will be released in two years, I believe January 2025. Mm-hmm. And so I was very hopeful. I remember when, I don't know, one of us um, sent the, the trailer when it first came out last year. And um, yeah, uh, the trailer looked promising. And I was a little bit disappointed by the movie, I have to say. I did not like it as much as other people mm. seem to like it. I looked up my my mutuals on, on Letterboxd and pretty much everyone gave the movie three or three and a half stars, which is not like, this is the best movie of the year, but it's still a, a sign that it's a very entertaining movie. And I was not... Um, entertained as much I have to say I thought Hmm. the movie lacked pretty much in every aspect the the humor wasn't quite there for me it was very bloodless so um, it it wasn't very suspenseful it wasn't gory and I wasn't really invested in the characters as much so um, it felt it felt longer than it was and um i yeah my my short review is i prefer the child's play remake from 2019 which also deals with an ai puppet that (laughs) tries or um, yeah supposed to take care of a of a kid and protect a kid and then Mm. starts killing people and where in child's play and we reviewed the, the remake last year um, the the humor is there the gore is there it was visually interesting um, and it it, it it just I don't know it, it, it flowed better than mm. than mm. Megan did and yesterday the the friend who was with us told us that there's rumors that the movie was supposed to be bloodier and more violent and that they cut it cut the violent basically out of the movie when they realized from the reactions to the trailer that they could reach a a broader and younger audience uh. with this movie that there's an, an interest for the movie by a younger audience so they cut out the violence uh, to get a 
the, the writing that they needed. Um, I, I don't know if that's true. I didn't do any research for that. Mm-hmm. That is something that our friend was told from another friend, by another friend, who said he's waiting for a director's cut to be released. Mm, so, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. it, it, it is very possible, um, from the way that the movie looked, that the the kills that are in the movie could have been more graphic and or or visible at all. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was just, I don't know, um, relatively bland, I, I have mm. to say. I, that's a, that's I a shame. Helps. That's a shame if if that is the case, and obviously it's a big if, because neither of us are aware whether um, that is uh, is a ratifiable fact. But um, it seems that there's an awful lot of executives out there that are more bothered by reaching the most number of eyes than they are by having a movie made to the vision of whoever it was that uh, that originally came up with the idea. Um, I would hope that there would be a director's cut if uh, if this is the case and that we can see something closer to um, perhaps as it was originally intended. Uh, it's, it's a real shame. Like you, you keep hearing all these stories about, well, we wanted to do this, but we had to keep it away from being R-rated because that's like a, a, a nail in the coffin for movies is getting an R rating or, or whatever the, the rating is. Um so it's 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 kind of a shame if if that's the case, and I'm still interested to see it, but I'm I'm not I'm not as excited uh, hearing that kind of stuff as, as I as I was, um, but I guess they got what they wanted. Like you know, it, it was right up there with Avatar um, on week of release. Hmm. It did really really well in its first week, and it has already been greenlit for a sequel. The imaginatively titled Megan 2.0, um, which to be fair, I would have called it that as well. Like it makes perfect sense, but it is a shame when people higher up the chain get involved with the actual movie making and editing process uh, because they think, or a focus group has said, this movie could do really well if you make it more accessible to younger people, and it's like. I'm not against making films accessible to younger people, but I'm also very much against a film being torn, not to shreds, because from what I hear, it's a pretty decently put together movie. Um, but I, I, I would like the film to be as it was originally intended, mm. I guess. Um, so I don't know. I'll, I'll have to wait until I see it before I can say anything definitive about it. But yeah. uh, I... I certainly trust your uh, opinion on it, and uh, it's uh, that sounds like a shame, really. Like it, it does seem like it, it's had its um, it's had its knife glove taken, t- blunted uh, somewhat before release. Yeah, I I want to look up um, if if I can find any reports about the the cut of the movie because my my first question when that friend told us um about the the film having been cut i i asked him if that's a if that's a german cut or if that is a a just global cut if if it had been cut in the in the us as well and from what he told us he said that it uh, supposedly was just a general decision in the in the us as well to cut out the violence mm. um as i said I haven't done any research yet 
uh, because I forgot. <laughs> so I've I've done some very very spurious uh, research while we've yeah. been talking about this. Uh, it's being reported by the Independent that the movie was uh, it did have graphic content cut at the last minute to lure in a longer a younger audience. Um, IGN have done a feature on PG thirteen versus rated R. How Megan opens the door to young horror fans. Um, Cooper confirmed an unrated cut is more than likely on the way, so we do have that to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it seems as though there is some veracity to those claims that, um, yeah, um, Yahoo Movies, which are actually a really good source of information. Um, the one of the editors on that site um, used to work for uh, IGN back in the day in the UK offices, and he's very good. And it, it says that mm. it required reshoots to get a PG thirteen rating. Um, do, 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 do. here we go uh, it, okay director told uh, Total Film Magazine making it PG-13 was something that happened after the fact but it was always close to a PG-13 anyway it seemed kind of a mistake not to embrace it I even remember thinking early on this could be PG-13 and some of my favourite films like Drag Me to Hell are PG-13 so we made the decision to go PG-13 and actually reshot a couple of things so, yeah, it seems like that's absolutely the case. But it is encouraging to hear that there's going to be a release which is more in line with the original uh, version of the movie uh, mm. that's going to be released at some point. Yeah, too bad that I did not know that before because I'm not, I'm not inclined to pay a second time for the same movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bloodier version of a movie that I didn't really like that much when they released it at the cinema. And I... <laughs> made the effort to go to the cinema and had three people pay for tickets and for popcorn and stuff and then mm. uh, all three of them came out with an okay experience yeah yeah uh, so no no interest in paying for it another time no uh, I, I, it makes it like the money men it makes sense to do it this way around right to like make the pg-13 version and then release the unrated version afterwards but to me i'm like why can't you do both? Yeah? Like, why can't we... Remembering back to the days, and I've, I've mentioned this a few times before, when Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was uh, originally released in the UK, they released two versions side by side. There was mm-hmm. a dubbed version and there was a subtitled version. Yeah, and okay. that's one of the few times that I was ever aware of a movie having uh, dual releases for two yeah. very separate crowds because there are people, myself included, who have absolutely no problem with uh, reading subtitles for a foreign film. And there are other people who understandably want to just sit back and enjoy the movie without having to engage that part of their brain. Um, and there's no right or wrong answer to that, by the way, as well. Um, but why not then have the PG-13 version alongside the rated R version. Like, I'm sure there's a cost reason why that's the case. Mm. But, you know, surely it would kind of make sense to, to, to at least test those waters. With a low-budget movie like this, $12 million, surely it makes sense to, to just kind of like dip mm. a toe in and see whether that kind of uh, release style could work for them. Yeah. Because cinema is, at the moment, a really... Um, it's a strange environment, obviously because of the pandemic and everything. And there's a lot of things that are standing in the way of films doing well. There's also a lot of things that are helping, like the release of Avatar is definitely a boost to the cinema industry. Um, but gimmicks like this, and I don't even really feel comfortable calling it a gimmick, but 
releasing cuts of the movie that are appropriate for different audiences especially in the age of digital projection where you're not having to make separate prints you're literally just cobbling together a different digital cut of the movie it's not going to cost you that much as a filmmaker to do that and as a as a, as a cinema it's not going to cost you that much to run like during the daytime and the early afternoon run the pg-13 version your 8 p.m onward screenings run the rated r version you know it i don't know in my head that makes sense but this is probably why i've never been made the curator of a cinema you know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i could play devil's advocate again and, and please say, do uh, <laughs> um of course, if you release the movie in two versions, everyone knows that there's one version that is not the full movie. Sure. And younger people might try to sneak into later screenings. So you would need to really um, check IDs and stuff like that. And, and at least in Germany, cinemas don't really do that anymore the way you, they used to back in the day. When, when I worked at a cinema 20 yeah. years ago, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. really checked IDs and stuff like that. The, the one occasion where... Um, when that that I remember that they actually did release two um, separate cuts in Germany was when the first Scream came out. And I told that story in the podcast. There was mm. a um, a version rated sixteen and one rated eighteen, and just as you described, they showed the sixteen version during the day, and I believe during like the the, the prime time uh, screening, and the the eighteen um, rated cut was shown in the um, at a late screening mm. and we specifically because we were old enough <laughs> drove <laughs> to uh, another city um the, the neighboring city to to see the the unrated cut but that is the only time that i remember in all those years that i've been going to the cinema mm. that they did something like that in germany and that was as far as i know a specifically German venture that they released two cuts, but because I believe in the U.S. they only had the, um, the uh, not not unrated, but the the uncut yeah. version, and in Germany yeah, they had the the sixteen cut and the eighteen cut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as I said, I think it's a bit of a uh, a bit of an annoyance, especially when there's. Uh, a movie announced that is not the movie that then months later comes out because I hadn't read anything uh, about the movie between the trailer having been released and it's a trailer by Blumhouse from the director of Housebound mm -hmm. and that um, set certain expectations from me and then I saw reactions to the movie and no one said this is a cut version that I saw but it, I still liked it. Everyone said this is a fun horror comedy <laughs> and that's what I expected and that's not what I got and then I learned this is not even the uh, the intended or originally intended version uh, and yeah I find that a little bit annoying so mm -hmm. who knows all right, that's the two things that I wanted to mention, which means we can lead to our main topic of this episode, the movie Terror Train. 
Terror Train is a 1980 slasher film directed by Roger Spottiswood in his directorial debut and starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Ben Johnson and Hart Buckner. Set aboard a moving train on New Year's Eve, the film follows a group of pre-medical school students holding a costume party who are targeted by a killer who steals their costumes after murdering some students to avoid being caught. It features supporting performances from Sandy Curry, Anthony Sherwood and... David Copperfield. Yes, the magician <laughs> David Copperfield is in this movie, which is one of the reasons I got interested in the movie. I thought to myself, a slasher set on a train from 1980 starring Jamie Lee Curtis and David Copperfield and directed by a future James Bond director. <laughs> this sounds interesting. Monsters or people in monster costumes on a train. So, uh, and, and talking about Monsters on a Train, let's get that out of the way. Uh, we haven't talked about that in quite a while, but especially in like the, the, the 70s and 80s. Uh, sometimes uh, movies, American movies when they were released in Germany, did get creative retitlings <laughs> mm -hmm. and the movie Terror Train came out so I found two alternative release titles for this movie oh, in, oh, yes. in, in Germany and of course they they, um, they were German names that I am now translating for our audience into English but one title that you can find this movie under is Monsters on the Night Express which well It works. It's not, not quite incorrect. <laughs> But then, of course, the other title, which is way more German. <laughs> It's Death Party 3. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I looked for the other Death Parties, mm. and there is a Death Party 1, and there is a Death Party 2. But uh, I'm pretty sure... Oh, wait, I should have looked that up. I, I, let me do that quickly. But pretty, probably Death Party 2 isn't even a sequel to Death Party. Who knows? So the original... So the, no, Death Party 1. Uh, remember, Terror Train is from 1980. Death Party is from 1986. <laughs> mm. And Death Party 2 is from 1989. So <laughs> Death Party 3 is six years older than the first Death Party. But um, Death Party stars... Carolyn Monroe, who we uh, talked about in Captain Cronus. She was the female lead in, in Captain Cronus. Yeah. And she's in a bunch of other um, horror movies and genre movies. But the, the IMDb summary for Death Party is eight people are invited to their old high school for their 10-year reunion where a fellow former student disfigured from a prank gone wrong, gone wrong is out to seek revenge. So very close to the story of Terror Chain, just not set on a train. And... Death Party 2, which originally is called Cutting Class, so <laughs> Death Party 2 is not a sequel to Death Party. Um, and the summary here is, high school student Paula Carson's affections are being sought after by two of her classmates, Dwight, the bad boy, and Brian, a disturbed young man who has just been released from a mental hospital where he, ha where he was committed following the su suspicious death of of his father. That's nice. You have two people uh, 
falling in love with you, the bad boy and the guy who was just released released from a mental hospital. Hmm. <laughs> You're in luck, Paula Carson. You're <laughs> in luck. So that yeah, that is a that for a while was a, a typical thing, especially for for genre movies. They did that with um, with with martial arts movies as well. That they hmm. they compiled movies that originally didn't belong together as a series in in Germany. So, yeah, Death Party. One through three, three individual movies that have nothing um, uh, to do with each other except for having, like, similar premises. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Terror Train. Hmm? Yeah, I I actually have... uh, You remember a long time ago I used to give my uh, my synopsis, my very short kind of uh, single-byte synopsis for what a movie is. I've, I've got one. I've got yeah. one. Wonderful. And I think Let's I like it. it. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, Sleepaway Camp 2, Dark Territory. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Steven Seagal movies. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a, it's a, it's a fucking wacky movie, right? <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about the movie. Mm. Um, so, uh, set on a train. I I had read that it's set at New Year's. Watching the movie and thinking about it afterwards, I wasn't even sure anymore. Does mm. that even really come into play that it's set at New Year's? I forgot. So, um, it says so on Wikipedia. Then it must be true. <laughs> so, you don't remember it being specifically set at New Year's. I'll be, I'll be honest, the first 15 to 20 minutes of this movie are so incohere- incoherent <laughs> that I wasn't sure what anything what was happening anywhere. Um, yeah. I, I could just about... I, I, I picked up the fact that, like, oh, tragedy has happened a year before. Uh, but what kind of bothered me was that uh, then they reintroduced a couple of characters and it was like, well, we're, we're not going to explain anything that's happened in between, um, which is their prerogative, I guess. But uh, it it just felt like the first. I, I want to go as far as saying the first half of the movie doesn't really make much to any sense at all. It's just disparate uh, bits of of dialogue that string together to give you the impression of a plot without necessarily actually giving you a plot. Um, that being said, um, it's 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 a it's a pretty fun movie. It really is. Um, I, I just haven't got a clue what's happening half the time, <laughs> which which isn't always a terrible thing. Wait a minute. I, there, I don't think that the that there is much happening. <laughs> so the movie starts out with this fraternity party um, where medical students yeah get get together and play a prank on a new pledge to the. Um, fraternity and Jamie Lee Curtis character Elena is involved in that prank. I don't think she knows all the details for the prank. So the the medical students got a hold of a female corpse and they lure that pledge into a room where he thinks he will have sex with Jamie Lee Curtis and Mm. then there's this dead body uh, laying in bed, and three years later, we see that fraternity and all these people, not the, the Kenny Hampson character, um, um, yeah, getting together again to have this New Year's party on this train. <laughs> That's the train, just, I don't know, they, they get on board 
the train won't stop until the morning, I guess. Th uh, we learned that there's no way of communicating with the station. There's no, no radio on, the, on that old train. So they will be stuck on that train for a while. And they have costumes on, so it's a, it's a bit of a costume party. And they, uh, or, or someone, uh, invited a magician to perform on on the train and uh, the magician and his female assistant uh yeah do 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 a magic show and of course that magician is david copperfield and then murders start to happen and as we learned from the wikipedia article the murderer um uh, well, the first murder is on the on the platform before the train even leaves the guy in the Groucho Marx costume mm. gets murdered and the murderer um dons that Groucho Marx um costume and then commits the next murder and gets that guy's costume and the next murder and so changes costume from from um from victim to to victim and yeah at some point of course uh, bodies get discovered and the the conductor and uh, Elena start to or try to find the killer and try not to get killed themselves and so it's the movie came out in 1980 uh, it's it's right in the middle of the um, slasher boom that started with Halloween and then um, Friday the 13th which in the beginning was um, quite a ripoff of Halloween and of course before Halloween there was Black Christmas and, and a, a couple of proto slashes but 1980 um, Jamie Lee Curtis had just finished shooting Prom Night before she started shooting Terror Train and so it, it's right in the middle of, of that slasher craze and yeah it, it, as, as far as I read the idea was uh, let's make Halloween on a train <laughs> the um i don't remember who it was if it was the the script writer or producer who came up with that e that idea that person was friends or at least friendly with john carpenter and deborah hill the people behind halloween and even asked them for their permission <laughs> to to shoot halloween on a train I mean, and, and they were okay with it so yeah uh, uh, it's, it's a basically basically pretty straightforward plot um but to me the the allure of the movie is in the execution i really liked how that movie looked mm. um i thought the the lighting was was incredible um the movie being set totally at night in a train gave the um the the, the camera people and the lighting people every opportunity to do <laughs> artificial lighting and and use the, the 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 lighting that would be set on on or or built into such a train to yeah create the the light that they wanted. I on if you read the Wikipedia article, it says that they um yeah the the, the camera um, man rewired. Uh, the whole train uh, we had the whole lighting system and built dimmers outside of the um, of the wagon so that they could change the lighting the way they they needed it and mm. i felt the the camera work and the lighting were especially of interest to me and then reading the wikipedia article afterwards i learned that the cameraman john elcott uh 
used to work with Stanley Kubrick quite a bit. So he worked on 2001, and then he was the cameraman for Barry Lyndon for um, The Shining, which came out also in in um, in 1980, and for Clockwork Orange and a bunch of other movies that you've heard of. So mm. a very prolific cameraman. That and explains a few things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think so too. Yeah. It's a very good-looking movie. Um, I, I, I think that its strength is in how it looks, how it's shot. Uh, the, uh, the the scene at the end uh, in the uh, the guard uh, coach, or whatever you want to call it, uh, it feels quite tense. Um, there's there's a scene, and I can't quite get my head around how this is physically possible, but there's a scene where we think that the killer has fallen to their death. And then I think it's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character is kind of like sitting in a, in a, a car uh, next to a window, possibly asleep. And the killer just kind of appears at the window, but at no. such an angle that I don't think they're hanging down from the roof. It's almost like they're some kind of lizard with suction cups. Mm hmm on their hands and feet and they're like crawling along the side of the of, yeah. of the train and it's a really unsettling shot um but it did have me thinking like okay so is this a paranormal killer at this point um also in the battle of who is the most unsettling as a killer uh William Shatner or Groucho Marx I, I kind of <laughs> feel like it's still William Shatner there's there's something about the early going, I like the fact that the killer constantly changes their disguise. Like they don't just, mm. it's not just Groucho Marx, the killer. Because although there is something slightly unsettling about that constantly smiling face, I just cannot feel threatened by Groucho Marx. I don't, I don't think it's physically possible for me to feel fr physically threatened by the presence of a masked killer that looks like Groucho Marx. I think it's just because of years of learning that the big eye, the bushy eyebrows and the massive uh, moustache and the glasses are an indicator of like uh, of of uh, humour, of uh, irreverence, you know. Um, whereas a turned inside out William Shatner mask, sprayed white, you don't know it's William Shatner until someone tells you for the first time, do you? It's it's very otherworldly. It, it doesn't look like anything that you've seen before. Um, so yeah, changing the masks throughout the movie was was good. I also like the fact that I feel like they got multiple people to play the killer through the movie to try and keep you guessing mm. because of their build. And I, I picked up very early on that they wanted you to think that the killer was a woman. Um, yeah, and I it makes sense come the end of the movie when you get the big reveal of who it is. Uh, and the fact that they've been kind of like in plain sight all along. Um, mm. and, and that's why I make the joke about Sleepaway Camp, because there is definitely yeah. uh, uh, an indication of that in this movie, like this idea of androgyny uh, being uh, the, the killer's ultimate weapon. And mm -hmm. that's problematic by today's standards, of course. Um, and it's understandable as to why. But it, it's still like there are movies like I, I believe there was a Michael Caine movie that we may have mentioned in passing on this show before where um, he basically dresses up in drag and kills people. And it's just like 
it's not subtle. You know it's Michael Caine in drag. But they love doing that shit. They absolutely love it because it keeps you guessing. And you, you get so many parts through the movie where it's like, well, that's definitely a woman's hand. And then, well, that's that looks like it could be a, a, a man in the lizard outfit because the, the arms are built quite powerfully. Uh, and then you get the, the killing of the, um, the shitbag ex- ex-boyfriend in the monk costume with the hand on his shoulder and it's got like a lady's ring and black nail polish on all of the nails. And again, you're like, okay, so it's a woman. And it, they're constantly building you up to the idea that, well, we want you to think that David Copperfield is the killer, but also we want you to think that you're being smart by second guessing that it's not him and it's actually a woman. Maybe it's his assistant. And I, I like the fact that they make it fairly obvious that it's something to do with him without actually going down the route of the most obvious answer is the answer in question. Um, But again, it does look really good. And there are certain choices that I'm not entirely sure about, like the conductor of the train having the word conductor emblazoned on the top of his hat in such obvious (laughs) typeface. All of the porters have got porter written on their hats you know, I, I kind of felt like David Copperfield needed the word magician written <laughs> on him somewhere about his person, uh, but he didn't didn't quite um, didn't didn't quite to do that. And I'm kind of happy for it. Um, the film did kind of feel like it was just like I'm David Copperfield and this is my magic and here's a film that surrounds it. Did you get that feeling? <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I was surprised that how big. Um, David Crawfield's role was and that he was not mm. only the magician on stage because I thought that's probably what it would be that in the marketing at least especially nowadays they would put David Crawfield's name on it because he's in it but then I thought yeah well he's he's probably they, they, the, the students on the train they probably watch a magician's show and that's the one instance where we see David Copperfield and and, and that's probably it but he yeah. does have like a proper supporting role with dialogue and, and he appears several times and not only doing magic tricks on stage but also interacting with characters and then being set up as a prime suspect for being the killer and then getting killed himself so his as i said his role was way bigger than i thought it would be um from looking up his imdb it seems to be the only role that he ever had in a movie where he did not play himself so he Mm. and and it seems like this this was 1980 his next credit on imdb as an actor is in i believe 94 so several years later when he already was David Copperfield, as we know, the the big TV star and, and star on stage um, as, as a magician, I believe in 1980, he probably was a young, upcoming uh, magician. I, when I, I, I learned about David Copperfield when I was a teenager in the 90s or when he had all these big TV specials and they showed that on German TV. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, I found that very interesting that this is probably his only proper role as another as another character and not as himself Mm. in a movie and that it is more or less a proper role and from what i read again on wikipedia in the original concept there was no such magician in the script but then someone had the idea uh to put david copperfield in it and, and include that magician character and i was i was i was 
um, surprised and, and, and happily so that the role was bigger and that he was acting mm. in the movie and not just, here I am on stage doing a few tricks. And then, let, let's talk spoilers here, uh, we, we mentioned the female assistant who turns out to be the pranked pledge from the beginning of the movie, um, Kenny in female disguise and when he's not on stage <laughs> in female disguise as the assistant he's going on about on the train killing people taking revenge on the um, the people that pranked him in the beginning of the movie which sent him the, the the shock the trauma from that event sent him to a psychiatric hospital and yeah we we learned during the movie that Kenny was interested in in, in magic and and um, was sent to that hospital and then we are supposed to think or the characters in the movie think and we as an audience for a while are supposed to think as well that uh, Kenny is David Copperfield's character and that David Copperfield is, is murdering those people but then in the end it turns out that it's actually his assistant so Kenny in, in disguise mm. which of course I mean watching the movie nowadays um, you probably pretty quickly realize there's something off with that assistant. You can guess that it's a man in disguise, and then, depending on on <laughs> how your brain works, uh, at some point you probably realize, oh, all oh, oh, right, that's probably Kenny from the beginning of the movie. Because since 1980, you may have seen one or two movies that. Um, do a similar trick. Um, so yeah, it, not not the biggest of surprises to to us watching the movie now, but still, I found the the, the general execution of the movie um, watch worthy and entertaining. Um, I said I thought it looked good. I'm, as, I, as I mentioned to Dave the other day, I'm currently a, a little bit of um, in a I don't know in a, in a phase where I'm. I'm weirdly into train movies. I talked about The Lady Ooh. Vanishes last week. Uh, I, I watched Darjeeling Limited last year during my catching up with Wes Anderson movies phase. <laughs> and I don't know, for some reason, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in movies set on trains. The um, um, Murder on the Orient Express, we talked about that a while ago, yeah. the, um, from, from a few years ago, the new Kenneth Branagh version, and then of course the, all the other versions. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, movies set on trains are, are interesting to me currently. So uh, when I when I found Terror Train, I thought, mm. good chance to talk about a train movie on this podcast. You're, you're going to love me next week when I talk about uh, the recently released anime series on Netflix that I'm about to start watching. Uh, season two of Demon Hunter, uh, or sorry, Demon Slayer, uh, which is yeah. entitled Mugen Train. Uh, uh-huh. It's basically set on a train. People are dying randomly, and it's up to him to figure <laughs> okay. out what's going on. So if you want an anime <laughs> recommendation that has trains in it, then there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Too many episodes, probably. Ah, no, there's um, no such thing. No such thing. Yeah, well, in my world, <laughs> sadly it is. I watched uh, 38 episodes. Yeah, talking episodes about trains. Go on. <laughs> talking about uh, trains uh, and um, I did not forget the reply that we got on Twitter um, to the announcement uh, when, when we announced that we would do Terror Train on this episode and that response comes from one Tyler Moliterno 
Dave's co-host on Generation Animation, yes. and his reply is, Hell yes! Convinced the Scream 6 teaser trailer is an homage to this. Dave, have you seen the Scream 6 teaser trailer? And, and after yeah. Tyler... Uh, wrote this tweet. They even released the proper trailer <laughs> for Scream <laughs> 6 this week. So, yeah, the the Scream 6 teaser trailer is um, the, Set on the a teenage New York underground. Yeah, right. The the teenage characters that we know from from Scream 5, so Jenna Ortega and her sister, uh, and uh, I think a couple of other friends uh, on a on the New York subway uh, where people are dressed in. Um, horror movie costumes. So there's a Freddy Krueger. I believe there's a, a Pinhead or some of these other characters. And then there's Ghostface um, trying to to kill some people. Mm. Uh, and that's basically the, the teaser trailer. And as I said, now they released the proper trailer. You see these scenes again and of course a, a bunch of other scenes. And I found that an interesting reaction, reaction from, from Tyler not having seen Terror Train at that point yet. Uh, but then, of course, after having seen terror train and seeing all those costumed people on 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 a train and the 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 killer changing the costume from from victim to victim and and yeah i i absolutely see where where tyler is coming from um it's very possible that that specific sequence within scream six may be a a nod to to terror train so that's yeah absolutely possible it's an interesting yeah um yeah. interesting um observation yeah um i i don't know i i think that there's kind of a, a limit to the amount of things that you can do on a train so i i don't know if it's necessarily that it's an homage as much as it's just coincidental that they did what they did and how they did it um But, uh, I mean, I'm obviously very excited for Scream 6 because I thought Scream 5 was very good and we've talked about all of the Scream movies on here now. And um, I'm I'm developing quite the uh, the appreciation for General Ortega's acting career. Uh, I've enjoyed pretty much everything that I've seen her in so far. And uh, I had to reread uh, the plot of Scream 5 on Wikipedia to remind myself that she wasn't in fact, one of the killers, because I was like, wait, hang on, didn't yeah. she fake her own attack at the beginning of the movie? But now I remembered it was someone else that did that. Uh, and I was like, oh, thank God, I can like her in the next one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, uh, I, it's been a while since I've seen the teaser. I watched it the day that it dropped on Twitter, and then that was, the, uh, I, I didn't watch it again. Um, I've not seen the full trailer for Scream either, actually. Uh, so I I should get round to watching that. Do they feature Hayden Panettiere in the full trailer? Do you know? Yes, they do. Yes, cool. she is in the trailer. Okay, mm -hmm. so I'm looking forward to having her back because uh, she's one of my uh, favored characters uh, in in Scream. Um, It seems I, like Hayden Panettiere and Courtney Cox are mm. the two legacy characters. Uh, they're at least the two legacy characters that are featured in the trailer. I don't know if there yeah. will be others. In the movie, um, I know that Neff Campbell did not return um, for for Scream Six, yeah. and yeah, it's, it seems like Courtney Cox and Hayden Panettiere are the I think the, that's the two good. main legacy characters. Yeah, I, I think that's a good move for Neff Campbell, honestly, um, and a good move for the franchise because they need to move away from the legacy characters 
maybe not all at once. It might have been a bit too much to just make a complete break and just have the 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 character the the um the next generation kind of pick up from from Scream Six onwards. So having Hayden Panettiere and uh, and Courtney Cox in there gives it that little bit of continuity. Makes sense because it's set in New York, uh, but also it allows them to concentrate more on um Sam and I can't remember the other character's name, but it, it Sam was the older sister. And then uh, General Ortega played the younger sister. I think it was Sarah or... No, not Sarah. Um, it doesn't matter what her name was. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's a good thing that they're concentrating on those two as kind of the main characters. And then they have a couple of recognisable characters uh, alongside them. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where they go with it. Being in New York, we, you know, uh, we're, we're all very well aware that the best thing that you can do with established uh, horror franchises is to take your killer to New York. Uh, after Jason all, Jason takes Manhattan. Jason That's took Manhattan. Uh, an association, <laughs> absolutely. Jason took Manhattan, and good God, he took all of it. And uh, Ferran Reynolds, friend of the show, uh, was on Twitter the other day and said that he kind of wished that... I think it was uh, it was Ferran that said this anyway. He kind of wished that they just did a spin-off series of Jason movies in Manhattan. Like, he never left. Like, he just stayed in Manhattan after that movie. And I, I, I <laughs> don't... In a shitty apartment. Yeah, like, maybe it could just be, like, friends. You know, like, hey, everyone, I'm <laughs> home. Oh, hey, honey, did you kill anyone today? Yeah, a couple of gangbangers down on Fifth and Main. But, you know, it's a slow day. I thought I'd take it easy. Uh, I So, yeah, I... I, I'm I'm not entirely against this concept of, um, of now. Uh, I want this this uh, um, what do you call a like a, a, a like the such a roommate situation? Is there an English term for the um, when when a group of people live together in a in an apartment? Because I, it, there's yeah. a German word for for such a. Uh, group <laughs> i can't think of anything off the top of my head because people just always refer to friends at that point um but yeah i can't think of anything like so it, okay so basically I, I want to uh have a, have a like a group of new york horror movie characters to to be roommates so jason could <laughs> live with maniac cop for example right. yeah uh, <laughs> or they they could fight against each other maniac cop is uh trying to solve the the case of, of Jason murdering people in Manhattan. <laughs> It's the Quakening, but all of the immortals are, are horror characters. There can be only one. I don't, I don't dislike Yeah, I'm not sure about uh, Scream 6 yet. Uh, it's a weird situation because I wasn't as excited uh, with Scream 5 as many other people were, and my reaction... It, Immediately after the movie was, yeah, all right, I don't need another one. This can stop now. <laughs> yeah. And then they immediately announced another one. Uh, and it, it comes out, I think, fairly soon. So only a little over a year after Scream 5. Which made me comment that I don't... Th if the Scream... Uh, so far, at least, the Scream franchise, each movie was also a comment on what was going on in cinema or in genre cinema at mm. the time there's not much of a change between scream 5 and scream 6 so either they don't really do that 
or they find something that I'm currently not quite thinking of to comment on. Um, and from from watching the trailer, I I'm now in the situation where I'm more interested in the movie, but I'm always I'm also saying maybe this wouldn't have needed to be a Ghostface movie. Mm. Maybe this could possibly just be a a standalone horror movie because it's it's of course an interesting thing to take Ghost, Ghostface to Manhattan to completely change the setting from all the other movies that we've so far seen uh, and and to create situations like the one that we described to be, being on a subway um, and and bringing Hayden Panettiere back so I it, it's very possible that I will go see the movie although a year ago I said I don't really want another one uh, but yeah I'm I'm curious where this one will go if they I don't know if if they find something to comment on regarding the movie industry or or genre cinema or if that is something that they I don't know tossed and don't really um care about that much anymore and just want to make a good hopefully good slasher movie set mm. in in New York City. Well you've you've oh. obviously not seen the second trailer where all of the characters are blue cat people <laughs> and it's filmed in 3D and it's all set 20 years <laughs> down the road with characters returning who shouldn't be there because they're already dead. Um yeah <laughs> or it's uh, it's it's where the Scream 5 was was uh, commenting on legacy sequel Scream 6 will comment on uh, streaming services and the movie will be cancelled halfway through. Oh, I like this. I like this idea. <laughs> yeah, they just, they just bury the movie it. will just end in the middle with a big cliffhanger. The movie's 95% complete and we're, we're going to shut it down and uh, claim back our taxes on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still salty about that. Still very, very salty about that. But, uh, no, this is... Um, I, this, this is another one of those ones like last week, really, for me, where... I think it's it's a it's a good movie, but there's kind of things about it that I don't enjoy. Um, I kind of lost my way. It's it's interesting because you, you you said that there's not really much that happens in this movie, and you're right. But somehow I kind of feel like they've managed to say even less in in telling the story um that than is actually happening on screen and i it kind of just left me a little bit like i don't really know who is who why i should mm. care about any of them i i should care about jamie lee curtis because i remember her from halloween a couple of years previously um you know is, is she a good person is she not a good person um you know even to the point that i'm watching the opening of the movie and i didn't really click with the fact that that was a body that they'd got like from the the, the morgue or whatever like i thought it was like mm. a, a murdered person and that nobody else realized that they were dead or something um and also and i know that this ties into the end of the movie but this mitchy character getting up on the bed and twirling around like he is turning himself into a mummy and getting himself caught up on the bed sheets that are hanging down from the ceiling. Isn't Mitchie a girl? <clears throat> no, Mitchie was. Yeah, but... I thought. I thought Mitchie was the name of the uh, of, of the 
the character that was the magician that uh, at the beginning of the movie. Maybe I've maybe I've got the wrong. Oh, name it's there. Kenny. I think Ke- oh, Kenny. Kenny. Is the, Sorry, I thought it was Mitchie. It's the killer, and Mitchie is is maybe Doc's girlfriend. <laughs> okay, there's too many names be- ending in in the yeah. in e. Um, and okay, what, what, you have these characters that sometimes wear masks and sometimes they don't, and so you don't really okay. Who who's the boyfriend? Who's the girlfriend? Because I believe Mitchie is at some point in that bunk with uh, with the mask killer, and at that point, I believe that she thinks that's her boyfriend, and then I think at some point we learn she that's not she doesn't really think that's her boyfriend she thinks that's someone else that she now wants to have sex with and her boyfriend should know that it is very complicated the relations uh, and the relationships between all these people that you don't really know yeah <laughs> mm, yeah um and it, it just seemed kind of pointless it was like um it's like oh i'm just going to be dramatic for the sake of being dramatic that that's not really a realistic depiction of a nervous breakdown for me like i'm going to stand on the bed and twist around like i'm in a music video um i i thought yeah i don't know i i to me it looked like he was tangled up in a in a in a ceiling fan because he he he, he twists around and the all the i don't know whatever curtains bed sheets whatever was going it, it seemed like he's being <laughs> twisted by by a ceiling fan but there probably wasn't a ceiling fan but that's i don't know just the the look of it made me made me think mm. that that might be the case but it probably wasn't it's and, and yeah he does the same thing in the end again where of course there is no fan um, it's just some very weird choices and like the thing that sets him off is kissing jamie lee curtis's character which is just yeah, yeah. okay so now now you're not triggered by dead bodies you're triggered by intimacy with a woman i don't understand where that's come from or are you associating yeah. your trauma with the act of getting jiggy with it? Which I could understand, but they've not taken the time to explain it. Oh, and they do the yeah. worst fucking thing. I, we've talked about this before, uh, especially with the Dracula episode from 1930, where Van Helsing turns up and he's like, yep, I, I staked the vampire, it's all over. And then we get the end credits and that's it. They smack the killer over the head a couple of times with a shovel. He falls out of the train lands awkwardly on an ice drift and floats downstream and then that's the end of it we cut to uh, a shot of a train pulling along the tracks and it's the end and that is really unfulfilling for me as an ending to a movie Hmm. i i need better closure than we killed the bad guy let's all go home like (laughs) i i need more than that i'm sorry but you know you spent all of this time you know, building tension, and then it's just like bad guy dead, bye bye. No, n- not for me. It just doesn't work. And I actually you. enjoy that. Really? Yeah. yeah, in this case, especially, or in this case, at least, because I don't know. I think we've we've learned everything there was to learn about the killer. Um, everything after this moment will just be complicated trauma uh situations trying to i don't know um what else is there there really to to tell about these characters so i'd rather Mm. they they go to credits immediately after the, the the killer is dead uh than take another i don't know five to ten minutes explaining the aftermath that 
isn't really. I don't, I don't know, really but... even need the five to ten minutes. I just need like maybe even just a final shot of. And, mm, and, mm-hmm. and another thing is that Jamie Lee Curtis, as much as she fights bravely against the killer, in the end, it's the fucking middle-aged conductor that that yeah. kills the bad guy, <laughs> and it's like. That yeah. that to me is not really how this is supposed to work. It's supposed to be the final girl that ends up killing the bad guy, yeah. or at least ridding them of the bad guy. And I, I get it because she's had so many chances to kill him throughout the movie, and every time she kills him, he, he comes back. So someone else yeah. does it. But it's just kind of like it, it rips the rug out from under the whole idea of like the final girl being that mm. um, personification of strong female characters. Um, That's something that we should look up because I'm right now not really sure when that final girl is emerging in horror movies. The the way that you described the, the final girl, mm. the final girl who kills, um, the, is, not only yeah. survives but also kills I, I uh, suppose... the, the killer and... Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. We, we, that's some. It's, it's an interesting point that we could look up. I think maybe because of the fact point. that a couple mm-hmm. of years previously, the same actress was literally doing exactly that, and is probably quite rightly considered by a lot of people to be the progenitor of the final girl. Um, I'm Does probably Laurie forgetting kill something. Michael in Halloween, um, well, she certainly she certainly kicks his ass out of a window. Uh, but you're mm. right; it's actually Doctor Loomis that shoots him. Although then he he doesn't even die in the end of that movie because then they look out the window and he's disappeared. So, yeah. Uh, but she's still like the final girl that survives, and I, I feel like she is the one ultimately that beats him in that first movie, regardless of if he dies or not. She still yeah okay it. yeah yeah I mean Michael never dies but no. I, it, it just does she really I don't know commit an an act to him that a normal people would not a normal person would not survive <laughs> uh, so because uh, Loom is shooting him that's basically the conductor swinging the shovel the yeah, equivalent to the conductor this swinging the true. shovel I've been laboring so, under I'm, the, I'm, un- under a false impression of final girls this entire time they were never strong no, I, no no no, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so I don't think so it's just uh, and, uh, I, I didn't want to to um, counter argue your argument uh, hmm. about the, the final girl it was it, it just made me wonder yeah. when does that version of the final girl really emerge in horror movies, the final girl that not only is the surviving girl, but also like the the, the one active. that puts paid to the yeah. Right, that's a good point actually. Yeah. It's later than this, I would imagine. Uh, mm, yeah, possibly. Mm. But even uh, so, I I just would have liked maybe even just a financial triumphant look, like you know she's mm-hmm. she she looks yeah. out of the train and sees the body hit the floor and wash down the river or something like. There's, I feel like there's like mm-hmm. one scene sitting on the floor. Which, if yeah. they put it in, would have uh, made that ending a little bit more yeah. rounded okay. and um, satisfying for me. But yeah, there we I go. Can see that? Yeah, I very much enjoyed the sequence where Elena uh, locks herself into that little caged mm. section. <laughs> of um of the cart where the killer in the in the monk's robe with a mask on tries to get to her and kill her and that whole sequence reminded me very much of scream 
I felt like the that monk's robe and the mask made the killer look like si pretty similar to Ghostface, and the whole I don't know the the whole body language of the killer and, mm -hmm. and the the fumbling around and the not quite getting to her and being kicked himself and and things like that it very much made me made me think of similar scenes in in Scream or the way that that Ghostface often acts and reacts when when uh, when Ghostface tries to to kill the victim but doesn't quite get to them or gets a, a door slammed in the face and, and mm. stuff like that. So I, w I wonder if that's yeah. because not only is Ghostface and this killer uh, a masked killer, but also they don't have a traditional humanoid outline because of those robes. And that makes them... Especially in that scene. when mm. Because when he wears the Groucho costume, it's a totally different thing. Um, yeah. But especially in that scene with a monk's robe. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it makes them... In a in a sense, otherworldly, uh, because you can't really read their body language or their face. They're just this mm. kind of faceless shape that that moves in a slightly strange way and can't be predicted in the same way that even a Michael Myers could be, or a Freddy. Mm. And it, Freddy is not a predictable person. Uh, you know, he, he can stretch his arms to f fill an alleyway. But you, you kind of get my point. He's always a human-shaped enemy. Um, un, unlike, I suppose, Ghostface and this killer are more like a monster than they are a kind of mm. humanoid um, antagonist. And uh, that's very interesting. A very interesting way to, to look at Ghostface. Just visually, you're absolutely correct. Mm. And then on the other hand, Ghostface is way more of a human character than someone like michael myers because he, he talks he jokes he calls he fucks um, up so there's way <laughs> yeah and uh, so there's he's he's in that sense he's closer to to freddy krueger like a, a a proper character with dialogue and, mm. a, and a personality <laughs> mm, mm. Uh, but just visually it's 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 Ghostface is even more of a shape than the shape <laughs> in Halloween. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe it's um, it's it's even more effective with him because of the fact that Ghostface can be so uh, full of personality at times, and then at others mm -hmm. when when Ghostface is like really kind of concentrating on what they're supposed to be doing, um, yeah. they they become a different beast like we've, we've talked multiple times about how Ghostface can be very uh inept and like you know you, you can throw an ashtray at their face and it will knock them out and and things like that and like, you don't really get that with other mass killers you know like they're, they're these invincible um killing machines um yeah. but he does have those moments where he's just i keep saying he when we all know that Ghostface has been he and she um, yeah. but uh, the, the voice is almost always male, and, and so I kind of identify Ghostface as being male for that reason. Mm. Um, he has his moments where he's all about the task at hand. Like, w once that knife is in you, there's no more joking around. Like, no, no uh, he, mm. he is just a, a fucking murderer, and at that point, the the lack of a face or of uh, any kind of like discernible outline becomes so terrifying. I've, I've told this joke before about how 
um, I was hanging out with some friends one night and uh, one of my friends had, um, he was big into Scream and he had the outfit, he had the uh, the mask with like a, a, cow, a cowl that goes over the back of the head and everything. And he put it on and I knew it was him because I saw him putting it on, on the, at the other side of the street and he just ran at us and oh, I, I yeah. shit you not, oh. even knowing it was him, seeing that yeah. That mask running towards me and the way he was running, mm-hmm. he wasn't running like a normal run. It was like that kind of weird kind of um, I'm going to get you, arms flayed mm-hmm. out the side. It freaked me out, man. And yeah. that's knowing who he is and knowing that I'm safe and that he's not going to do anything to harm me because he weighed about, I don't know, 95 pounds soaking wet at the time and I could have flattened him in a minute. Um, <laughs> not that I ever would, but, you know, I, I don't know. There's something about mask killers in general that are really creepy, but something specifically mm. about Ghostface. And strangely enough, the final mask that the killer wears, um, actually not the final mask, um, but the, the one that the girlfriend is wearing slightly earlier on, it's very elongated. It mm-hmm. kind of shares a lot of the dimensions of Ghostface, and it's mm. really creepy. As a result, like it's just something it's not quite human. You can you can pull out human aspects of the mask, but it's not a human face. It, it's something different. And and that yeah. is kind of I think it's trading on the uncanny valley to an ex, uh, to an extent, uh, you know, just that natural feeling of une- unease that, that we have when we see something that is recognizable, but also mm. not quite right. Um, and I think Megan probably also going back to when we were talking about Megan earlier, I, th- I think that that definitely tries to, uh, cash in on that from what I've seen of the, uh, of the trailers, uh, whether or not it mm. succeeds is something that I would have to leave to you to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm really going with this, but I, I, I find <laughs> it all interesting to talk about nonetheless. <laughs> Let's talk about Roger Spottiswood for a moment. Mm. So, um, as we learned, directorial debut in 1980, Canadian director, and then he had quite the Hollywood career. He made movies like Turn and Hooch, Air America, Stop or My Mum Will Shoot, oh. The Sixth Day with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and, of course, Tomorrow Never Dies, the second Piers Brosnan, James Bond movie, Dave Roberts, you are the sitting Erie International <laughs> James Bond expert. I, of course, have seen the movies, yep. but you've seen them way more often than I have. Uh, so, Tomorrow Never Dies, what's your take on that chapter in the James Bond franchise? I really like Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, uh, this was the one with Michelle Yeoh as one of the Bond mm-hmm. girls, quote-unquote Bond girls. Uh, but this feels like one of the Bond girls and this really started sometime before the Brosnan era but Michelle Yeoh really does sum it up really well uh, she feels like one of the Bond girls where she don't need no man um, she can look after herself she kicks his ass occasionally um, and what I love about this particular Bond movie is the fact that it really does um, cash in on the craze that was going on at the time for Chinese cinema and specifically Jackie Chan uh, focused Chinese cinema um, 
and I mean, it's about a, a it's about a, a, an evil newsman who wants to make the news and then report on it before anyone else. I mean, it's it's perfect. You know, there is no one more evil than uh, than, than the owners of news conglomerates. Uh, I think we can all agree. I'm being sarcastic. But yeah, it's a really fun movie. It's got a lot of... This was also before uh, Bond ever really attempted to use CG in um, in their movies. Uh, you'd have to wait until Die Another Day before CG reared its ugly head in any way, shape or form. So everything is done practically. There are some spectacular stunts. There's a brilliant chase sequence involving a BMW motorcycle and a pair of handcuffs. Um it is just wonderful. And, you know, there are people that have criticized the villain um, in in this movie because of the fact that he's not really a physical threat. He's not particularly evil-seeming or anything like that. Um, but I think Jonathan Price is wonderful in the role um, of, of this kind of... Um, Max... What, uh, Ma- uh, Robert Maxwell-type character... Uh, writ large and he has a henchman that does all of the heavy lifting for him so that's fine but yeah this is this is one of those fun movies like uh i would say of all of the pierce brosnan movies it's probably my second favorite next to goldeneye just off the top of my head it's it's very Mm. much up there it really is um it's also got from memory a pretty fun scene, including a BMW and a remote control built into a Nokia phone. Um, mm. And and Q. Q is wonderful. I mean, Desmond Llewellyn as Q. As, as M. No, Q. Um, you, you couldn't beat him. <laughs> and uh, the, the jokes. The, the Pierce Brosnan uh, era especially, Llewellyn was just all about getting the best lines and the best jokes. And uh, I, I remember that period very fondly because it was a few years after... Uh, Bond had been out of the public eye. Goldeneye came back and really re-established uh, Bond as a force in the cinema. And uh, it felt like it was perfectly timed for the age that I was at. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a great film. I, I recommend people check it out on Amazon whenever possible. Speaking of multinational media conglomerates, uh, <laughs> you can watch all the Bond movies now on Amazon Prime. <laughs> oh, depending on where you live. True. No, actually, don't they have the world? They have the worldwide license, don't they? Because they bought MGM Studios. All right. So, so I, I think um, you might be able to have it. I, let me look it up, but okay. I don't think that they are on. Well, not free on Prime, at least oh, uh, in sons Germany. Of nope. They are not free or Prime. I can rent or buy them. God damn it, Amazon. Amazon. God damn it. You had one job. You had one goddamn <laughs> job, Amazon. I'm, I'm going to check now because I've not actually bothered to go onto Amazon and, and look up a Bond film because I own them all on Blu-ray. Um, part of that uh, 50th anniversary set that they did a while ago. So, um, German actor Götz Otto is the henchman in um, in Tomorrow Never Dies and um, mm. his, his anecdote about getting the role it goes like this. I mean, I, I, I always remembered uh, and enjoyed this this anecdote. So he had shot a movie set in World War Two at the time. Um, I may have been like a, a prisoner in a concentration camp. Anyway, for that role, he had shaved his head bald, and he got to Barbara Broccoli's office, and she said, 
that's the way that he told the story at least uh she said you have 20 seconds to convince me to to hire you and he said i'm big i'm bad i'm bald i'm german five seconds keep the rest <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent i love that um Gotsotto, uh damn i mean he was he was brilliant in that film honestly uh, and it kind of made up for the the lack of physicality of, of Jonathan Price, but there will be people that will always uh, dunk on on the movie um, for the reason that it didn't have a, a threatening bad guy. These people seem to forget Doctor No and Goldfinger, and pretty much every Bond movie doesn't actually have a physically imposing bad guy. There's a reason that uh, Jaws was uh, brought back for two consecutive Bond movies in the Roger Moore era. It's because the bad guys were basically just rich people that were nefarious and evil. Yeah. You know, like Christopher Walken is not a badass. People will have my guts for garters for saying that. But in that movie, uh, he is not a badass. Um, you know, Mayday is the badass in that movie. Um, so, but yeah, he's he, he he's great. He's great. I need to watch that movie again because I've not watched it in <laughs> years. Um, also, yeah, it appears, even in the UK, um, you have to pay to rent or buy the Bond movies on Amazon over here as well. So you bought MGM and you didn't add the Bond library to Amazon Prime streaming. What the fuck are you what? doing, Amazon? What are you doing? Why give something away for free when you can have people pay for it? Because I already and the Bond franchise probably <laughs> is so expensive that they need people to pay. I think uh, for these movies, I, I think they paid an awful lot for MGM, and I think primarily they paid for Bond. I don't think there's much mm. over at MGM that they really cared about outside of that. But uh, yeah. technically speaking, the Broccoli's are still the ones that own Bond. Um, but uh, Amazon do own all of the movies that have come out as part of MGM. Uh, so far so you know it was a good bit of business for them i guess but i'm just going to watch my blu-rays of course all right that was the james bond corner <laughs> of erie international um do you want to add anything about terror train or do we go to double feature picks uh I know. I, I think I'm. I'm pretty much there as far as my opinions. I, I think I've put them all out there. It's a good film, but like it, it's just lacking in certain places. Um, it, it's not necessarily one that I would say go out of your way to watch. But fortunately mm. for you guys, Plex is free, so <laughs> you don't have to go that far out of your way to watch it, and it won't cost you anything. You just have to watch There's more. A good adverts. chance it's on YouTube as well. There's probably um, a very good chance of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, should we talk about the adverts on Plex again? Because we we did this last week. And yeah, of <laughs> my course. experience has changed somewhat since last week. I keep getting yeah. these adverts, which are just like beautifully shot still images of rainforests and. Uh -huh. um, other uh, things in nature and occasionally they'll be accompanied by uh, a quote from Gandhi or something mm -hmm. and it will have like a countdown timer on it and I have no idea what it's advertising but I would quite <laughs> happily have 145 seconds of that than 30 seconds of eatwell.org with a really 
the smile on that woman is not real. It's it's a <laughs> fake smile and it scares me. It much more than the movie of the same name actually did. Um, well, or would have done because I haven't actually watched it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the the adverts are the adverts are really piss poor. They really are. I um, yeah. I I know that it's not in their interest to make you enjoy the adverts because they ideally want you to pay for the advertless version of the service, but. Um, they're, they're I mean, it just—it also depends on just who is even advertising on Plex and what kind of spot do they deliver for Plex to play in their movies. Because so for the first few ad breaks, I did get um, uh, an, a, a, a Lego ad, okay, paired with the the same ad that I talked about last week. Um, it's it's an, like an animated ad for some kind of charity. Give give your money to some kind of charity. I do not remember mm. which one. I should because I see that thing all the time on Plex. Uh, and then so th for the first few few ad breaks, it was Lego plus the charity thing. And then at some point, it was only the charity thing. Thirty seconds, and then it was done. Mm, yeah, there's some weird adverts on this service, but um, fortunately, the stuff that they yeah. have on offer is is I, I'd say it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. Double yeah, feature picks. Uh, <laughs> for me, it absolutely is. Uh, yeah, double feature picks. I have, I wrote down two movies, um, and now I'm thinking which one I'm going to go with. I think just because I picked Scream 2 last week, I will pick Scream this week. <laughs> okay. The other one that I wrote down is Black Christmas, because I think you just for seasonal reasons having a christmas movie and a new year's movie but then as i said new year's doesn't really play that big of a role <laughs> in in terror trains um, so little that i don't even really remember um if it was a new year's party uh but yeah so scream for all the reasons that i mentioned beforehand and then tyler's um tweet about Scream 6 and, and Terror Train and yeah mm. the, that's that's my my pick Scream with Terror Train what do you pick uh, I'm going to pick Midnight Meat Train because it's my oh, favorite yeah. horror movie to star a train in any way shape Good or form thinking yeah I I could have gone for Sleepaway Camp but I kind of felt like that was a bit cheap uh, of, of a link because of the whole um is he a boy? Is he a girl? Kind of thing. And uh, I, I thought, you know what? Let's just recommend a really cool movie that has something to do with a train. So Midnight Meat Train with Vinnie Jones. No one else famous in that called... movie, just Vinnie Jones. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no one had a bigger career than Vinnie Jones in that Absolutely movie afterwards. Not. He's the only one who ever appeared in another movie after Midnight well, Train. Well, I mean, you say um, that, but who's still working in Hollywood at the moment? Because I've not seen any movies for any of the other stars recently. Vinny's still doing stuff, though. <laughs> well, Bradley Cooper won a few Oscars a few years ago. Uh, yeah, he's taking a break. So. Yeah, can't blame him. <laughs> can't blame him. Can't blame him. What, what did Bradley Cooper ever do after Midnight Meat Train, huh? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> How many FA Cups uh, yeah, has Bradley Cooper won? Huh? Answer me that. <laughs> not as many as Vinnie Jones. <laughs> How many people did Bradley Cooper kick in the face? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How many shins did Bradley Cooper break? Look, if, if, if you're going to walk up and slap one of them in the face, which one's it going to be? 
It ain't going to be Vinny. <laughs> it ain't going to be Vinny. That's all I'm saying. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah, they, uh, they they could have called Terror Train Sleeper Train Camp. Oh. <laughs> oh, the force is strong with you today, sir. <laughs> this is very good. Oh. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's Terror Train. That's our episode on Terror Train. Um, if you've seen other slasher movies and you're still interested in watching more, I think it's not a bad thing to watch Terror Train. I I enjoyed it, um, but yeah, it's it's not the best. But as we often say, if you've seen the best and then you're interested in watching the other ones <laughs> as then well, try the rest. <laughs> uh, I think Terror Train is a is a good one mm. from the not great slashers from the 70s and 80s <laughs> yeah. fair enough all right we have not picked a topic for next week yet so as always keep an eye on our social media um, platforms uh, our social media accounts twitter instagram and facebook we will announce our topic for next week um, within the next few days as soon as we have picked it um yeah that's it for today thanks for listening come back next week come back every week for eerie international and yeah watch horror movies bye bye last stop eerie international This has been a production of FanOff.com. And that's perfect.